And I want you to get your Bibles open this morning, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. It is so good to have all of you here this morning, and especially Nigel visiting. I met her at Ross last week. I was walking in, and she works there, and she had such a beautiful smile. And I said, that smile needs to be used for Jesus. Amen, and I invited her to come, and I was, didn't see her last week, but I was praying for her this week, and here she is, amen, so thank you for making her welcome, she's got a good spirit, amen, amen. I want to talk this morning in just a second about uh, an awesome sermon title, but before we do, we've got a few announcements to get out, don't forget, like Pastor said, to uh, keep giving towards that fund so we can help people, we're getting close, next month will be Thanksgiving. And then Christmas, there'll be people who don't have the availabilities to give gifts or don't have food for Thanksgiving or whatever. And I know the Lord's really put that on her heart. She does a great job keeping track of it. Everything is uh, in the books. Everything's um, transparent. And so please don't forget to do that. We give as a church to that fund as well so that it builds up and uh, we have something to give out of at that time. Um, Don't forget that this week is a big week, amen, as we close out uh, October. Uh, Friday, we'll be having our annual Harvest Fest. You know that's one of the biggest outreaches we have of the year. And uh, I want you, I want to I go on record and let everybody know, anybody that doesn't know, uh, I hate Halloween. Yeah. Halloween is a day I hate. I've always hated it. Uh, I don't like Halloween. But we use this day as a day to reach out. And uh, we're not celebrating Halloween We are doing something instead of Halloween because the Bible says every day is the day of the Lord. So if we can do something light on that day, if we can do something to reach out to people who would be out anyways, then that's why we do the Harvest Fest. So I want everybody to know that uh, it is uh, a dark day. Every day is dark for the devil and every day is light for us. Amen. So I want want us to um, uh, bring, we need to bring water still. We need to bring... um, Two-liter bottles, Kendra said, for prizes, and we still need a lot of candy. So um, if you haven't brought it yet, I know we always do. She worries a little bit because she wants to have it already, but I said it'll work out. Amen? And then next Sunday, we're starting something very exciting. We're going to be starting our first Spanish service at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Amen? So Robert and and Sheila are going to be heading up that ministry, and uh, we've got some practice going for uh, the songs this last week, and uh, I know they're going to do a great job, amen, I know that God's going to grow them as that ministry grows, and uh, he's got a good helper in uh, his, new, his new convert, amen, that the Lord has saved, and he's going to be helping out, Jesse's going to be helping out, and his wife, amen, and so it's going to be a blessing, amen. If you want to come to that service, it's open to everybody, when we did it last time, we, were, we had about 20 or 25 people coming on Sundays, and the only reason we stopped doing it is, is I, I got, t- I'll be honest, I got tired of preaching three times in one day. And so we kind of put it off, but it was working. And so I've been praying that God would put it in somebody's heart that we could start it back up. So I'm excited that at conference, uh, if you know, that's our vision, evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. We had several men stand up and said, I would pastor, I would go out, I would preach the gospel if God opened the door. And uh, many men, about five men stood up. Some uh, would have stood up if they were there, amen? Uh, but they stood up, and I looked around, and Robert Ayala was one of them, and, and so he got back, and I said, hey, start praying about a city. And he said, I'm praying for Denton, Texas. We need a Spanish service. And I said, okay, that'll work, amen? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give him that ministry, and they're going to begin to flow in that, amen, and move in that. So I'll be praying for that as, as, as this Sunday comes. If you know somebody... We've got cards over there as you go out the door. If you don't know Spanish, you can just take some cards. How many know you run into people that speak Spanish all the time? You don't have to be able to speak Spanish. Just give that card to them and say, venga. Say that, venga. venga. You're going to say that, right, with a V. Just venga. And, and then they'll read the rest. All right, and it's got the time on it and everything else. So uh, I really believe God's going to do something. Keep lifting up all the ministries. We're starting some new ones. Keep lifting up uh, Dwayne and Meyer with Breakaway. I know that not this past Friday, but the Friday before, they had 26 people at the breakaway service. Amen. Isn't that awesome? So God is building that ministry this uh, Thursday. Come on, give the Lord praise. Amen. 
this Thursday, uh, uh, Dylan and Ashley will be starting up the Young Couples Bible Study. And uh, I believe it's for some other Bible studies to start up. If you're interested in starting a Bible study, come see me. Amen. A life group, a life starter. We need to have as much ministry going on as possible. Amen. To reach the lost. And so I've won. How many want one more announcement? I got a really exciting announcement this morning. Really awesome. You know that we are um, blessed to have the fellowship that we have of churches. And we're blessed to have the conference that we have. We just came off of conference in October. And every year we have two conferences, April and October. And uh, it's always been, when I first came in, we just had one. And I think it was in April, once a year. And then they made it to two. And I'll be honest, I liked it when they made it to two. Because I need that twice a year to go get recharged as a pastor. When you go there and receive and you receive and you receive. Uh, So we've been doing that for several years. And then at one time they were doing a full week in October and a full week in in April. And uh, then it got to just be where, where people are having a hard time making both. And so then this past conference, if you were there, it was probably the most well attended that I can remember. I mean, it was packed every night and even the morning sessions were just totally packed or three quarters at least. And so it was a really good turnout. So Pastor Paul and Pastor Jones began to say, you know what, if we do this once a year, we really focus hard on once a year, we'll get more people to come to it. So the bad news is, is they're only going to do one conference a year. They're going to cut it down to just October. It'll be international. Everybody will come from the United States. Everybody will come from around the world like we've been doing, like we did in October. The good news is they want to start some regional rallies. And so they want to do a regional rally right here in our church in Denton, Texas. Amen. So we're going to have... Instead of having a conference over there, the conference is coming here. Amen. Isn't that awesome? In March. So if you've got a pen right now, write it down. March 12th to the 14th. It's, a, it's official. We're going to host this rally. And we're going to see God move in a powerful way. And so the Phoenix churches will be coming. And uh, the, the, all the staff from the Colorado Springs Church will be coming. Pastor Jones, Pastor Paul, Pastor Marshall, Pastor uh, Dustin, their wives, their families. And then uh, anybody that wants to come from Colorado can. Uh, but we're definitely going to have, we'll have three churches now in Texas. So they'll have people they can bring. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have to pray for God to help us with the seating. Amen. And we're going to have to begin to be praying for chairs. Because we only have 200 and we need more. Amen. So how many just begin to lift that before the Lord? It's only five months away. Actually, it's less than five months away. And so we really got a plan. But I wanted to give that announcement. I'm waiting to be able to officially do it. But I didn't want to do it before it was official. So now it is. And so put that in your calendars. And we're going to be so blessed to have. They're also going to have one uh, regional in Cortez for the Colorado churches in June. And so that's how we're going to be doing it going forward. And we'll see how it works. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And I I want to talk this morning, if you're taking notes, about the cure which is the blood of Jesus. Amen. The cure, the blood of Jesus. How many know we can't talk too much about the blood of Jesus? This is going to be a good note-taking sermon. This is going to be a good sermon to really think this morning about uh, uh, what the Bible says about our sin nature and who we are. And this is something that you can really use to witness to people. Remember that that's our call this morning is to witness. Amen. You know, a lot of times we don't realize where we're at in our life, in our walk, in our situation. And we need to read the Bible and be reminded of where we are and who we are and what our situation is spiritually. Amen. So let's look in Genesis 3, uh, chapter 1. And let's start off at reading what, what, what happened with the fall of man. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, and watch this, lest you die. Underline that word or make it in your notes that that's important, that it's a death sentence. Okay, a death sentence was given by God out of obedience. He says, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And so that would be equal to sin. Then the serpent said, you won't surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then 
the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were together naked. And I want you to underline something here in your, in your Bible or make a note in your notes. Very important. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Okay, I want to read that part again. And they sewed to themselves fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. I want you to really pay attention to that, okay? Actually, that's where we're going to stop this morning in this part of the verse for the moment. And I want to read, for, uh, you don't have to go to it for time, but 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. If you don't get anything right in your walk with God, get this verse right. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with an excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, but I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay? Maybe you're here this morning and you're a new believer. Maybe you're here this morning, you've been saved a long time, and you need to get a grip again on what, where you're at in your walk. Maybe it's become monotonous or religious that you know God, and you're just kind of off of your kilter a little bit, and you need to get a grip again on where you're at. If you don't do anything right, do this right. Preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You cannot go wrong when you preach the cross. And, and today we're in a society, in a world, even in the church, where we've gotten away from the cross. You could picture this morning, and, and, and when I say that, I don't mean a cross on your neck or a cross on your wall or a cross on the front of the church. Those are symbols. I'm talking about the symbol in your heart of what the cross is. But you could picture if somebody had a, at a front window store and they had a, a cross, a beautiful cross, and they put it on the front of the window. So people, when they walked by, would see that cross. And they wanted as their store, to, that one, they wanted to be the symbol of their store that, that that place believed in the cross. And so that cross was there. But as business began to grow, as life began to go on, this business owner began to put more and more articles out on the table of the front window to where there was so much stuff there eventually that you could no longer see the cross. And that's what's happening today in the world is that we're so busy with so many things that we lose what really matters, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. And what Jesus did on that cross. And so in your life of clutter today, you need to make sure all that stuff gets pulled back and the cross stays at the forefront of your heart. Amen. And, and, and maybe you're here and you're new and you don't understand, well, why don't we have a cross up? It's, it, it's not about the cross. We have a few sitting in the front of the, of the sanctuary or the entryway over there because we're not trying to make it to where we're looking at a symbol of something from our eyes to remind us. I don't need to see a cross to remember what Jesus did on the cross for me because what he did on the cross is right here. And that's what it needs to be. I'm not saying you can't have a cross on your neck or a cross at your house, but I'm telling you why we don't have it here. Because Jesus said, I wish that they would worship me in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. And we don't need to have something to remember that we don't need Jesus on a crucifix this morning to remember what he did. Amen. But we preach what he did on the cross. And it said, Paul said, how many know Paul knew a little bit about the Word of God? Amen. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He said, and he was a very smart man, a very educated man. One of the things that blessed me the most out of Pastor Manova when he came is his humility. You might not have caught the fact that he, he had a master's degree in, in, in physics. That's smart. But he said he did on our discipleship. He said, I count that as zero. He said, I don't, it don't matter what I've studied or what I know. He said, I, I've become zero so that I could lift up the name of Jesus. And Paul is saying here, I'm not coming to you with excellence of speech. He could probably debate with anybody. He had the knowledge and the words to debate with anybody. But Paul said, I'm not, I'm not worried about what I know here. I'm worried about what I know right here. And that is that Jesus Christ and him crucified is what I'm going to preach. Can you say amen? Fall in love with Jesus and the cross. We'll get back to Genesis in just a second, but this comes down to a word called atonement. I preached on that for a while, and actually I'm not necessarily just the word atonement, but probably the next few weeks I'm going to be preaching a little bit of a series here about the blood of Jesus and the cross. All right? And get into some stuff really, really important so we really understand where we're at. And, and you know, this is kind of an interesting moment in time as it's always good to use what's going on in the news as something to think about. 
We know right now that there's a fear. We know right now that the, that the sickness of Ebola is out there. And we know that it hasn't hit hard in our country, although it has arrived. We don't know what the future holds about this disease. And whether it's that disease or another disease, we know that in this world, those things will come. The Bible says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines. There'll be pestilences. Pestilences, by the way, pestilence means disease. And a disease with no cure. And we know what AIDS has done. But now, right now, as we're at this very moment and we have the Ebola thing happening, almost 5,000 people have died this year in African countries because of this disease. It's a serious disease. And, and as it's here, we, we thank God for the medicine that we have. But it has killed somebody in this country as he arrived. It's affected some other people. And as you're thinking about that, it's just a good opportunity to say, man, you know, as this disease is out, they're looking for a cure. And there is a disease today, we must remember, that is killing all of humanity. It's way more important and way more vital and way more dangerous than any Ebola or any AIDS or any other disease in the world. It's called sin. And it's sending people to hell every single day. And it's not just a physical death, it's a spiritual death. And these people are going to hell and there's no way out of hell. Amen. There's no windows in hell this morning. Can you say amen? It's not like the 9-11 building where they jumped out of the heat to fall to their death. There's no windows there. And every day people are dying because of this sin nature in their life that came through Adam and Eve. But I want you to see something as we begin to move on here that is very important. I touched a little bit on this on discipleship on a Friday morning a few weeks ago. And it might have been a Saturday. I don't remember which one it was. But this is really important that we see the nature of us. It's always good when you're reading the Bible that you relate yourself to the word. You relate yourself to there. You put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes. You, you, if you're a man, you say, I'm Adam. If you're a woman, you say, I'm Eve. And you say, I, I, why did they do this? And, and, and we, we, can, we can do the blame game all we want. But listen, it's not going to change anything. We can be mad at Adam and Eve all we want. Sin's here because of there, and it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It's, gonna be, it's been there since the beginning. It's going to go all the way through the end. But God has made a way. To be delivered from sin this morning. Amen. There is an antidote. There is a cure. Sin is the, is the cancer. Sin is the disease. And the cross is the remedy. The cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. But we see here a good example of human nature as when they sin and they've been deceived by the devil. And the devil says, you're not going to die. And you, what's going to happen is your eyes are going to be open. You're going to realize that you're as good as God. And how many know Lucifer had that very mentality? He thought he was as good as God. He, didn't, he wasn't happy with his position. He thought he could be as good as God. And so they began to listen to the devil and were deceived and fell. But then what happened was even worse. And we've seen it since Genesis all the way till today. And it still exists even in the church. Is these men, Adam and Eve and this woman, Eve, Adam and Eve did this. They said, well, we've sinned and we've made a mistake. Now we know we're naked. So we're going to cover ourselves up. And they made fig leaves. They made, a, they made some clothes, so to speak, out of fig leaves, and they covered themselves up. That's a symbol of today, people doing things the way they think they should do it so that they can cover up sin. Okay, that's religion. Any way you try to cover up your sin without the blood of Jesus is Adam and Eve's mistake in the book of Genesis. Okay? So how many saw that there in verse 7? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Y'all with me so far? Let's keep reading in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, here we go, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And we know God knew where Adam was. Okay, remember that God knows everything. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He doesn't, he's not asking here because he doesn't know where Adam is. God is always a God that allows us to confess our sins before judgment comes. Okay, he knew Adam and Eve had messed up. And he's giving them an opportunity to say, Lord, here I am. But instead they hid themselves. And God says, where are you? 
So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid, verse 10, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, now he confesses. The woman whom you gave to be with me, of course he confesses with the blame game, amen. She gave me of the tree and I ate. How many know that's been in marriage for, since Genesis, amen, the blame game. He did it, she did it, he made me do it, she made me do it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, he did it. So he blamed her and she blamed him, which was the devil, whatever he is, amen. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle, all the beasts of the field on your belly. You should go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And then he says to the woman, I will, sorry, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's prophetic of Jesus Christ. Then he says to the woman, watch this, verse 16. He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust shall you return. I really want you to see this in verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And also for Adam, watch this, verse 21, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Okay, this is very important. Okay, and I'm just going to break it down elementary for you real quick, just in case you started thinking about lunch. Okay, just in case you got sidetracked on some word. How many know sometimes you read a word and it takes you somewhere? Right? Okay, just in case you got lost there a little bit, it's gonna, I'm going to make it real easy. They sinned. They said, we've got to cover ourselves up. They did their own way of covering themselves up with fig leaves to, because they knew they needed a covering. It's in our nature to have a covering. Okay? And so they made their own. God came along and said, no, that's not going to work. Then he says, now I'm going to cover you, but I'm going to show you how I cover you. And it's important that we understand what he does here. He does the first shedding of blood. The first shedding of blood happens right here as he kills an animal. Sacrifice, also the first sacrifice comes as he sacrifices an animal. How many know that it's obvious that God did not go and grab a skin hanging off of a tree? He killed the animal. It wasn't already there like we see in the stores. He went and sacrificed the animal. Blood flowed. He grabbed that tunic. He made a coat and he covered them. What did he cover them with? He covered them with that skin. Of what? Of an animal that was sacrificed. And what happened when that animal was sacrificed? Blood flow. Blood flowed. This is the beginning of the cure for sin, which is the blood of Jesus. Now the blood, let me read something about the blood. The covenant love of God, watch this, requires that innocent animals be sacrificed to provide garments of skin as a covering for Adam and Eve. And if you go, well, why this or why that? You go ahead and miss, just miss God altogether if you want to start asking why. I don't know why he chose animals. I don't know why he, we have to be covered, but he says we do. So you can cut. So the, the bottom line is this morning, you can cover yourself the way you think you should be covered like the world does. Or you can cover yourself the way God says you should be covered and you can make heaven your home. I just choose to believe what he says. I choose to cover myself in the blood. I choose to cover myself in his garments. I choose to listen to what he says and not what the world says, because the Bible says that the teaching of the cross is foolishness for those that don't believe. Once you get saved, you get a revelation of what the cross really is. 
It's not just an act that happened 2,000 years ago. It's the cure for my eternal disease. Amen. It's the cure for my eternal disease. And we ought to really understand that this morning and really realize how powerful it is that he did what he did right here. And they started something very important. So atonement, again, is the reconciliation of us men and women to God by, through redemption and restoration by what? We talked about this not long ago. By what? Substitution. Okay? Jesus took my place. Look at somebody and say, Jesus took your place. How many get that? That's simple. Don't get away from that. You were a sinner, bound to hell, bound and cursed by the sin of Adam and Eve. And you can say all you want. Well, it's not fair. I wasn't there. I didn't do it. I'm not involved. But if you really stop and look yourself in the mirror, we're probably worse than Adam and Eve. So stop blaming it on them. And if you really think about it, we probably would have done the same or worst. That's one of our biggest problems as human beings is we always want to play the blame game and push it off on somebody else. The day you start realizing I'm a filthy sinner that needs a savior, you're going to get where you need to go a lot faster. Amen. I'm a, saint, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm, I'm a bad person. I need Jesus. Get the blame game out the way. But in the Bible, watch this, we see two vast differences in the Bible about what the Bible says about covering. Okay, now remember the covering is for their sins. In the Old Testament, we would see in the Hebrew word Kippur, and that word comes from Yom Kippur, what the, what the Hebrews do, which would be, as you read in the Bible, that it would be the covering for their sins for how long? For one year. Okay, they would shed that blood, the priest would stand in for them, go in and, and, and shed that blood, and cover their sins for one year. Okay, and for all that year, their sins would be covered for because of that uh, priest standing in. So we begin to see a picture of what Jesus is coming to do. Let me read something very important to you in Leviticus 17, if you've got your notes this morning. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. For the life of your flesh is in your blood. How many know you cannot make it without blood this morning? I remember when I first got saved, I thought, why, man, why blood? Blood's gross. Blood's nasty. Well, it's the life of your body. It's the life of your life. It's life, blood. And without it, you cannot live. You can get rid of a few organs. You can, you can lack a few things, but you can't lack blood. It's the life. And so Jesus, God says through his word, for the life of your flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar, Leviticus 17, 11, to make atonement for your souls. What's going to live forever? Your soul. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So Leviticus is making a statement here. And you need to write it down. You need to get it in your spirit. You need to get it in your head. It's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. It's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. It's not how many times you read the Bible. It's not how many times you come to church. It's not anything else but the blood of Jesus Christ that makes atonement for your soul. You have got a people around the world with all different names and religions and many even inside the Christian church who are trying to get to heaven on some other way outside of the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Follow this. When you stand before God, when God sees you this morning, he's not looking at how many Bible verses you can quote. He's not looking at how many times you came to church, although that's important. He's not looking at the songs you sang. He's not looking at how much you put in the offering. All those things are great. There's only one thing God sees when he looks at you this morning, and it's the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Because it's only the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Only the blood. Say, only the blood. False doctrine is anything that teaches something else than the blood. Anything else but the blood. He's making a statement in the Old Testament, for the life of your flesh is in your blood. In the, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word would be, and I will probably butcher this, so I probably shouldn't even try it, 
I had it written down how to say it. You know how the thing tells you how to say it? I'm just going to say katalage. Okay, I'm probably wrong, but this is really key. Old Testament, the sins were covered by the blood. Okay, covered. Watch this, this is very important. Sins were covered by the blood. So that blood sacrifice covered our sins for a year. But here's what happens in the New Testament. This is going to make somebody very excited. The Greek word for that same word of covering in the New Testament, or the same word for atonement in the New Testament, is katalaj, and it means, listen, removed permanently. Removed permanently. Not for a year, not for two years, not for a few years, but removed permanently. Gone as far as the east is from the west. Put away, the Bible says. John 1.29, listen to this, says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world takes away the sin of the world. Not just covers the sin of the world, but takes away the sin of the world. How many see the difference between, let me give you a serum that's going to keep you alive a little longer with AIDS, or something that takes AIDS away from your body? Come on, somebody needs to get excited about that right there. That's a big difference. If I told you today, hey, I got something to keep you healthy for a year, you'd be excited. But if I came over and I said, I've got something better that'll never, you'll never get sick again, that's really something to get excited about. Amen? The blood that was shed takes it away permanently. It's put away and never to be opened again. Hebrews 9.26, listen to this, says, Then he would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. That, that would mean that every time we sin, he'd go back up on the cross. That every time we'd sin, he'd have to have this blood shed again. No, he shed it one time. He says, but now, once at the end of the ages, listen, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of who? Himself. Come on, Jesus came down and made the sacrifice himself. There was a woman in, in, in California when the gold fever broke out. And, you know, the, the Ebola is, 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 is fairly new. It's been around for about 20 years. Some people don't even know that. It's been around. But it's breaking out again. But how many know the blue blonde boo? How do you say that? Boo. Is it boo or blue? Boo. Like boo. Boo blonic plague killed millions. Millions. Boo blonic plague. Millions of people. Okay? Sickness has always been around. And this was something called the gold fever. And a man went to California, leaving his wife in New England to try to get away from the sickness and to start a new life. As soon as he got on and was sick, successfully was going to send back for him and his wife and his child. And it was a long time before he succeeded. But at last he got money enough to send for them. The wife's heart leaped for joy. She took her boy to New York. They got on a Pacific steamer and began to sail away to San Francisco. They had not been long at sea before the cry of fire, fire rang out through the ship and rapidly it gained on them. There was a powder magazine on board on one end of the ship and the captain knew the moment the fire reached the powder, every man, woman and child would die on that boat. They got out, of, they got out the lifeboats, but they were too small. Sounds like the Titanic. In a minute, they were overcrowded. The last one was pushing away the very last boat from this boat. The one last boat that was going to be saved was pushing away and the mother pled with them to take her boy. Please just take my boy. I'll stay. Please take my boy. No, they said. We've got as many as we can hope. She began to entreat with them and beg them and said, last, we can take no more. So she leaped into the boat, left her boy and let, so she, so do you think, sorry, do you think she leaped into the boat and left her boy to die? No. She seized her son hugged him and kissed him one last time, dropped him over into the boat and ran back so they would not mess with her. She said, my boy, if you live to see your father, tell him that I died in your place. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for us. He died in our place. 
Now that might be a, a, a generic example of what Jesus did for us, but how many know he laid his life down for us just like that? He took your place and my place on the cross. He did not deserve the cross. And my question is, if I knew that if that little boy knew that his mom gave his life for him, wouldn't it be a shame if he got all the way to California and hugged his dad and never mentioned what his mom did for him? Wouldn't it be a sin if he didn't go and say, mom gave her life for me? But here we are today many times as Christians, and we've been saved from the epidemic of sin of this world. We've been saved from hell and fire and brimstone and judgment, and we don't open our mouths to tell the world, Jesus saved me. Jesus took my place. Jesus stood in for me so that I wouldn't have to stand there. How many know if you got your life saved this morning, you tell somebody about it? Amen. We need to tell people about the blood. The blood's not popular. The cross is not popular. It's foolishness, the Bible says, for those that don't believe. But listen, it's the remedy for sin. We can live in a church world today that's preaching all kinds of other things, but the remedy for sin is still the cross. It's still the blood. The diagnosis this morning of the doctor. How many know a doctor or scientist cannot provide a cure for something without a diagnosis? You can't can't provide healing for something you don't know if you're sick. This world needs to know they're sick. This world is walking around like zombies spiritually and don't know because they might have a lot of money. They might have a lot of success. They might have nice clothes, nice food, nice house, nice things. And the world might say they've got it together, yet they're walking around dead. We as the church need to tell them you're dying. Amen. You have a sin Remedy. You have, sorry, you have a sin disease and the cross is the cure. The cross is the cure. Listen, it's not just coming to church. It's great that you're here. The cross is the remedy. The cross. He says, let me, let me read that first part to you again. He said, I would preach nothing else except Jesus and him crucified. Get that right this morning. Romans 3.23 says what the definition of sin is. For the wages, sorry, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what sin is. Sin is we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is that we're all on a path this morning. Everyone. Listen, some people have Ebola, some people have AIDS, some people have this, some people have that. Everyone in this world is in sin and are going to hell if they don't get the remedy, which is Jesus Christ. Every single person on the face of this earth. Do you realize how blessed we are this morning to understand that we have the cure? Now listen to this. Sin is not something, this is important. I'm going to begin to close. I'm not going to get through this this morning. Sin is not something we do alone. Okay? Sin is not something we do. Sin is a fallen state we live in. It's not just something we do. We don't just make mistakes. It's not that you know, I, I lied or I did this or I did that. Or, because that would make somebody that lies less more apt to be good. But God said no one's good. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody's good. We're all living in a fallen state. This sin nature does not pass over anybody. There's no baby that misses it and is born into, into this life without sin. It's in our blood. It's in our blood. Sin is in our blood. We are born in sin. And we need the cure and the remedy to cleanse our blood from the sin nature and the fallen state we live in. You can live the best life you can today. You being a Sunday, you can say, man, it's almost, you know, noon and I haven't lied yet. It's almost noon and I haven't gotten angry yet. It's almost noon and you can start listing all these things that you haven't done yet. And you might even get through the whole day without doing any of those things. You might say, man, I had an awesome day. If Jesus would have came back today, I would have made it. Guess what? 
It has nothing to do with that. And it doesn't take away that you shouldn't lie. It doesn't take away that you shouldn't hate. It doesn't take away that you shouldn't do those things. But those things don't save you. What saves you is the blood, is the cross, is the sacrifice Jesus made for you. It's a standing that you're in. We're in the fallen state of sin because of sin, but because of Jesus. We are in a place of redemption and atonement. And he doesn't see us. He sees the blood. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. It's simple. Some of us in here have college degrees. Some of us in here are studying right now. We're smart. We've learned some things. Hey, this is simple. You are going to die in hell without Jesus. But if you have the cure this morning, and it's the blood of Jesus. You need Jesus, and Jesus is the answer. You're a sinner, and you need a Savior. You're, You're dying, and you need a cure for your disease. It's that simple. Amen? And there's not two, three, four, or five different ways to be forgiven. There's one, and it's the blood. It's Jesus. For the wages of sin is death. Period. Exclamation point. You are going to spend eternity separated from God because of the wages of your sin. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The diagnosis this morning for humanity is sin. Don't you wish, don't you wish that would come out on the news? There's been a new disease detected today. We go on CNN and Fox and all the news stations. There has been a new disease and it is spread across the world. And can you imagine if they came out and said, everybody has it. Not that it's spreading. Everybody has it. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could somehow get on the news? And say, hey, we've got some bad news. We have detected that every living person in this world of over 7 billion people are going to die. And they're going to spend eternity in hell. But we have a cure. We have a remedy. It is the cross. It is the blood of Jesus. You don't have to run to a hospital. You don't have to get a blood transfusion. This is what you have to do. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. The cure is the cross of Calvary. A man collapsed on the street with severe chest pains. A doctor came upon him quickly, took him to the hospital, and they ran various tests. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, the doctor said. You are very sick. You have cancer. And matter of fact, you have lung cancer. The man reached into his pocket for a cigarette to calm his nerves. After lighting it up, he said to the doctor, Who do you think you are telling me I've got cancer? I don't have to take that from you. Look, the doctor replied, the cancer is at a relatively early stage. I've seen worse. There's still hope for you. If you give up smoking and submit to treatment. Oh, I see, the man said. You not only want to come and put me down, you also want to try to control me. First you tell me I'm sick. Then you tell me that I've got got to submit to you or else. He took another drag on his cigarette, <coughs> coughed, and continued. You're a typical doctor. You're always so negative, telling people they've got diseases. You're so high and mighty, threatening people with death if they don't do as you say. No, the doctor interrupted. You don't understand. You're seriously ill. And if, but the man wouldn't listen. I understand, all right, he said. And you can get lost as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to let anyone humiliate me by telling me I'm sick. And I'm not going to let you or anyone scare me by telling me I'm going to die. And I'm sure not going to let anyone tell me what I have to do. Now, how many know that sounds absurd? Doesn't that sound crazy? Can you imagine telling a doctor that as they're telling you you have got cancer? But guess what? People tell us that every single day. That they don't have a sin problem. That they don't need a savior. That there's nothing wrong with them. Who, don't you, haven't you heard that? Who do you think you are to tell me 
that I've got a sin problem. Who do you think you are to tell me? See, here's the problem sometimes. We get saved and we become too spiritually good for other people. When you witness to somebody, you need to let them know that you were sick too. I have the same problem as you. I'm not better than you. I have the same problem as you, but I listened, thank God, to the word of God and I got saved. So it sounds crazy, but too many people today in their spiritual nature are acting like this man. Let me close with this. For the, for the message of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18, is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Don't ever lose Jesse and Anthony and anybody else here that's gotten saved recently. Don't ever lose the newness of the power of the cross in your life. The freshness of the blood, the saving grace of God. Don't ever get so saved that you feel like you're better than anybody else or, or that you're less lost than anybody else because when it comes to sin, we're all on an equal playing ground. We're all lost. We're all bound to hell and we all need a savior this morning and his name is Jesus. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Amen. Now watch this as I close this morning. I promise you I'm closing, but get this if you don't get anything else. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved, it is the power of God. The more you begin to study the Bible, the more real this begins to come to you. The more you begin to watch this, believe. If you're taking notes, do me a favor and do you a favor. And write big in your notes, big capital letters across a whole line, believe. Please do that for me and for you. Just write believe. It's big. Just take up a whole line and underline it several times. Put some exclamation points on it. I'm doing it right here in my notes right now. Believe. <clears throat> believe. Because this is the key. This morning, our salvation comes through belief. Let me read you how you get saved. You hear it every Sunday, every Wednesday. Every Sunday night, every breakaway service, every Spanish service, every service we have, every Bible study, you hear these words. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, those are the words of Romans 10, 9. Then he says in verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation so there's a power in my confession and there's a salvation in my believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and it says in verse 11 a great promise whoever believes on him will not be put to shame Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Amen. Notice the word believes. Believes. As the musicians come, without turning me off this morning, you've seen them before. You saw them up here before service. Their clothes haven't changed or anything. I see y'all's eyes following them sometimes like, like they're new to the church. Stay over here. Amen. This is important. In the book of Numbers, there was a time when Moses was preaching. And they began to grumble. And they began to whine. And they began to complain. And they began to murmur. And God got a little angry. And he sent some serpents down. And they began to bite people. And as they began to bite people, people just began to fall dead. We need to thank God this morning that we're living in the grace period. Amen. We'd be falling dead all over the place all the time. But they fall dead, they fall dead, they fall dead. Moses says, God, please, let me tell you something. You need to be thankful for somebody standing in intercession for you. You need to be thankful for somebody who stands in the gap and says, God, please. And no matter who it is, if somebody would stand for you and say, God, please save that person. God, please, please, please have mercy on their soul. Moses did that. 
Numbers 21, and then you see it in John 3 as well. And I, w- I want to read this to you real quick. And if you've got your Bible, let's look at one more thing. Look at John, quickly, John 3. I mean, you can le- read late in your time, Numbers 21. We know the verse, for God so loved the world. That whosoever would believe on him would not perish. We know that verse. But a few verses before, something very powerful happens that happened in the Old Testament. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. See, what happened is they started getting bit. And then God established something for today. He said, I'm going to take that same blood, that same sin, that same serpent, and I'm going to turn it into something that's going to defeat it. Blood shed from Cain and Abel was the first murder. Blood shed from Cain to Abel was the first murder. God destroyed that blood shed by giving his own son to blood shed his blood and to eliminate what will happen through death, through murder, through the, through the sacrifice of that animal. He used that same thing. So he said in the, in the, in the, in the wilderness, the snakes are biting him. He says, make a serpent, put it up. And as you hold it up, he says, whoever looks, this is the key, whoever looks on that thing and what? And what? Believes. He didn't just say whoever looks on it. It's not enough just to look. It's not enough just to be here this morning. It's not enough just to confess and profess you're a Christian. The bottom line is you need to ask yourself, do you believe? Do you really believe? Do you really believe Jesus is the answer? Not because someone told you he was. Not because just the Bible says he is, but do you believe? Do you really believe he is the answer this morning? And they looked on him, on that serpent, and the Bible says, now, as they looked, the Bible says that the bites began to not affect them anymore. Serpents didn't go away. They were still biting. But as they kept their eyes on the serpent that that Moses lifted up, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And we see in John 3, listen to this. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Watch. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. How many whoever's do I have in here this morning? How many believers do I have in here this morning? Believers this morning. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I want, I want to get you to, to get the Christi, Christi, Christianology out of your mouth. I'm a Christian. Christian doesn't mean too much nowadays. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. In what? I'm a, you know, if you say I'm a Christian, someone's, oh yeah, I am too. But if you say I'm a believer, then I'm going to ask them, ask them, make, them, make them ask what you're a believer of. What do you believe? Let me tell you what I believe. I believe we're all sinners. We're all lost. We're all on our way to hell. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can get to God except through Jesus. And you can tell them what a believer means. How many really believe that this morning? As we go over this the next few weeks, church, I want you to fall in love with the cross. I want you to fall in love with the blood. I want you to fall in love with the serum the antidote with the cure with the remedy for your sin and if you really love the cure and the remedy you'll live for him and you won't trample that blood and you'll fall more in love with Jesus and you'll say God I know I'm a sinner but I sure I'm going to do my very best not to sin I'm going to hate sin and love God